0: Recorded
1: live. Good evening, and thank you for joining Jesus Christ Ministries Global on tonight. As we as we delve in deeper into the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're just grateful to God to give us this opportunity one more time to minister to minister His Word to those who will gather, or those who will at some point hear these recordings. And then grow. We pray that you will grow from uh, your from these teachings, because that's essentially what these teachings are for. They are to edify the body of Christ and to open the door to salvation. While well, Jesus has already opened the door, but just to make known the the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, because we know that it was on the cross that Jesus purchased. Um, salvation for everyone who would receive him. So tonight, uh, we're going to just read um, from Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, Romans 12. Now opening scripture, and I'm going to ask our executive pastor to open us up in prayer following the scripture. Romans 12. And this is where it reads,
0: Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Give me a moment to
1: get that. And it reads, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I want to run over real quick to take a trot over to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to just read. Um, verses 4 through 11 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11, I'm sorry, verses 4 through 11. Ephesians, I mean, 1 Corinthians, I have, I have Ephesians on my brain because I'm, I'm going to mention it here in a little bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same Lord, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all.
0: For the one is
1: given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healings. By the same spirit,
0: to another the working of miracles,
1: to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Father God, we thank you for the word
0: that has been read and Spoken in our hearing, and we pray that the word will continue, it will continue to edify us so we can grow strong in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the word that's going to be coming forth tonight, Father God, that we will be living the epistles of your word in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father God, that there will not be any Henry spirit keeping this word from going forth so we can grow thereby. And we thank you for those that are on the call in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Have your way. In their lives have their way in this place, Father God, as we learn of this. And as we go forth, Father God, to let our lights so shine, so peace, can see so our good works, and we glorify our Father which is in heaven. We praise you, we adore Hallelujah. you, and we need you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' holy name, Hallelujah. we give you praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And amen. Hallelujah.
1: Amen. Thank you all for joining us again. It was a joy to to, to minister the word of God and to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit at the same time that He's ministering to you all. Um, Where tonight we are continuing our teachings, and um, I want to say this is it, but I can't say this is it because we've been in we've been in getting to know the Holy Spirit, this topic of getting to know the Holy Spirit now for almost a year, and there's just so much that the, everything everything about ministry uh, requires. If we're, going to be, if we're going to do it well, if we're going to do it effectively and if we're going to uh, do it according to the will of God and not according to, um, what is it, uh, tradition, and not according to what other people say, but according to what the word of God says, uh, then we need the Holy Spirit. We always need him. He is actively involved in every aspect of the believer's life when what the believer does is to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And so we're grateful to him, the Holy Spirit, for giving us this privileged opportunity to just learn more and more about him. And and as I read in in, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it is the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts to the body of Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit who actually, in operating in the believer and through the believer, uh, is truly the one who is actively activating, if you will, the gifts that are in each individual. It may be gifts or it may be gifts uh, that one individual may have, but one individual does not have all of the gifts. But there is the possibility that, for example, last Thursday, we talked about um, speaking in tongues, uh, and we talked about the interpretation of tongues, briefly. And it would appear that um, there are both interpreters, aside from the individual who speaks in tongues, but there is the, also the individual, if he asks God for it, if God just feels and if God has purposed that he, she, he or she should have the gift of interpretation, not only will he, he or she have the gifts of speaking with other tongues, but also the gift of interpreting those tongues. And so tonight we're going to talk about something that um, I, as we would say in ministry, cut my eye tooth on in ministry, and that is evangelism. Uh, the word euangelisus. Uh, Euangelistas, and that's spelled E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-S-T-A. Euangelistas is written in English. It means, it means evangelist, or the one who proclaims the good news. One definition of the gift of evangelism is the gift of proclaiming the good news of salvation effectively so that people respond to the claims of Christ in conversion and in discipleship. That is so key. Um, I often explain to people that I'm teaching when it comes to
0: evangelism,
1: now if I walked up to you and said, I, I have a stock that I want to invest in, I, I need, I need $1,000 from you just give me $1,000 so I can invest it in this stock here. You're not going to just give up your $1,000 without having a clear understanding of what that particular stock is uh, and so and without doing some homework yourself. For example, you want to find out which stock it is, who it is that owns the stock. Then you want to go and you want to research that stock. You want to research the company that, that is selling that stock because what they're saying is that you're going to, you want they want you to own a, a portion of their company, and so I would like to know what their five year projection is. I like to know what their five year uh, what they what they have done in the past five years, what their performance has been in the past five years. So I do my research on that, and then not only that, but I also want to know how many who are in leadership of that company, how many of them own stock, own the same stock. And how much of it do they own? If they don't own a much of it, then why should I buy it? And so that's what I'm talking about. And so when it comes to evangelism, if we want people to receive the gift of eternal life, number one, three things need to have to happen. Number one, we have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to have a submitted heart to the Holy Spirit, and then we must have the individual. So we need three people that, that in order for the gospel to go forth, we need the Holy Spirit, we need the person presenting the the Holy Spirit is using to present the gospel, and we need the individual that the gospel is being presented to. I cannot, I will not invest in anything if I don't understand it, if it hasn't been explained to me where I can understand it. My wife and I had the privilege of sharing the gospel down in South Carolina, Somerville, South Carolina, uh, and uh, to a young, to a woman, and when we finish, finished, she, she, what did she say here?
0: Y'all like the ram in the bush. Y'all, y'all, y'all like the ram in the bush. Uh-huh. And that
1: you guys explained it that even a, a
0: five-year-old child can understand.
1: Can understand it. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to evangelism. It has to be something that is explained. Uh, and we'll probably deal with a little bit of, uh, we'll probably get into it uh, just a little bit on tonight, time permitting. But several things are involved in the gift of evangelism. There are several things, and I'm going to give you, um, there are five. Let me just say, I'm going to give you five things that are involved in the gift of evangelism. And it is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Here's the first thing. Uh, If you have a gift for evangelism, then, number one, you have a burden for the loss. You have a burden for the loss. And that's so important having that burden for the lost. Uh, the one having this gift has a great desire to see people saved. You have this gift. You want. You have a strong desire to see people saved. That's important. Uh, the other thing, the second thing about the gift of evangelism is Um, that it involves proclaiming the good news. It involves proclaiming the good news. The evangelist is one who proclaims the good news. It's just that simple. When men like the apostles, like Philip, like like Billy Graham and Benny Hinn, clearly have the gift of evangelism, It is not necessary, though, to restrict the gift of evangelism to mass evangelism. A lot of people say, well, if I can't do it like Billy Graham, if I can't do it like the apostles, if I can't do it like Jesus, or if I can't do it a whole crowd like everybody else, then I'm not going to do it. Well, everything begins with a step, um, a first step. Uh, And it's okay. One of the the core values, actually the second core value of our ministry is uh, personal development is the first one, and then personal and corporate evangelism is the second um, core value within, uh, within our, for our ministry. It's, it's important for us to understand that. So, and I, I brought that up to simply say this, that we don't always do mass evangelism. Mass evangelism doesn't always uh, uh, involve a mass, it does perform on a massive scale. And evangelists will also share the good news with unbelievers on a one-on-one basis. Ordinarily, that's fine if you are a man uh, sharing with another man or a woman sharing with another woman. Uh, but what I like, ideally, what I like to see is at least two to three people um, meeting with one individual or a group of individuals to share the gospel. Because while the one while one is sharing the gospel. The other two are praying underneath their breath against distractions, against hindrances, against doubt, um, against the influence of Satan, uh, that the mind of the individual to whom the gospel is being presented is clear so that he or she may hear the word and receive it uh, and then therefore receive eternal life. So that is so important. But evangelism is not just a corporate thing. but it is also individual, one-on-one. Uh, number three, evangelism, the gift of evangelism involves a clear presentation of the gospel. I explained that just briefly when I when I opened up here. It involves a clear presentation of the gospel. The evangelist has the ability. If you are if you have the gift of evangelism, and you've you've perfected your gift, then you have the ability, you always have the ability, whether you you stumble over it or whether you're well-honed in in sharing, you have the ability to present the gospel in a simple and clear fashion. Jesus proclaims, the evangelist rather, proclaims the basic needs of salvation. We know that everyone is a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. All have sinned. That means that no one, is, no one is, is without sin. And because the word says all have sinned, we can go all the way back to Jesus' mother Mary and know that she is a sinner. She was a sinner. But she was highly blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Uh, there's a difference doesn't mean that because you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord that you were not a sinner. David was a man after God's own heart. Yet he was a sinner and God thought very favorably of him and loved him and promised him that there will never cease to be uh his throne his throne will never cease. And Jesus Christ is from the seed of David and so he seated on the he will come back on the in his second term and he will sit as king over all the earth, and he will rule the earth for a thousand years or millennium, as they say. And But we won't go into all of that. But the point is that one person is perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. He was the only one that was without sin. Everyone else is a sinner. Now, is that clear? Or do I need to explain more? Yeah. yeah. Everybody is a sinner. No one is perfect except Jesus. Uh, so evangelism, and when we're talking about proclaiming the basic needs of salvation, we're talking about everyone is a sinner. We're talking about the substitutionary death of Christ. And when we talk about the substitutionary death of Christ, Colossians, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, go there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> we talk about the substitutionary death of Christ. Christ died a vicarious, died vicariously for you and I. So a substitutionary death. Verse 21. Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. And we see uh I love this. While you guys are looking for that I just I just had another scripture just hit me on my heart and I just want to I wanna
0: bring that up too, if I can remember. First Corinthians chapter five,
1: verse twenty one. If you have it, please read it.
0: Did you say second Corinthians five twenty one or first?
1: Five. Second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one.
0: For he has, has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Mm, mm, mm.
1: So, you see, we, so he died a substitutionary death for us. And then, of course, First Peter chapter 2, um, I'm going to just read uh, verse 24 and 25. Actually, let me just read verse 24. Let me read 24. 24. Here's what he says. First, first Peter, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And we see we're speaking of Jesus. Who himself, speaking of Jesus now, who himself bore our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see that Jesus died, and even in Isaiah chapter 54, um, that very same Scripture there.
0: Um, let me make sure of, that I'm I'm absolutely right here.
1: Yeah, fifty three rather. It says, and then of course it says very much the same thing uh, as I just read. But I'm going to read a little bit of Isaiah fifty three all the way up to from one to six. Listen, who has believed our report? Isaiah says. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, has, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when, you, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, he, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, now listen, you probably didn't recognize this, but this is the, this is the only time when, when God is speaking of, of, the, of the prophet to come or the one to come, the only time that God mentions human sacrifice is when he's talking about Jesus. Only Jesus could pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And only Jesus was capable of bearing those sins because he was he was brought into the world for that reason for that reason that you could, that he could take all the sins and every temptation that Satan had to offer um, that he uses to confuse men and create chaos and and hatred throughout the earth among men from men to men. He took all of that, was tempted by all of that, and he remained pure and undefiled by the wickedness of Satan. And then he was taken to the cross and nailed to the cross because he was the only one that was perfect and could do it. And he paid the penalty for your sins and mine on the cross. So it wasn't the death that saved us, it was the crucifixion. It was the nailing of him to the cross. Because when they nailed him to the cross, they nailed our sins to the cross. When his blood was shed, it was poured out that we might have life. Lord have mercy. I, I want to deal with this thing, but I don't have the time. But just understand, he died for our sins. So when, when the evangelist talks about the substitutionary death of Christ, that means he died in your place and mine. Rightly, we should have been the ones to pay the penalty for our own sins. He never did anything. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 is so important. For God made him who knew those sins to become sin for us so that we through him might become the righteousness of God, that we may come into right with God, that we might have relationship with God. I'm telling you, I love it. I love it with all my heart. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Not only does the evangelist proclaim the basic needs of salvation, like the sin and the substitutionary death of Christ, but we receive this gift by faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to eternal life. And it is the, the faith is that narrow way and that narrow gate, that straight way and that straight gate that you enter into. till there be that enter thereby. But it is a faith walk. It is an absolute, complete trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What He did on the cross, the fact that He got up after being buried for three days on that third day with all power in His hands. That's what Romans. That's what Adam, Matthew chapter twenty-eight verse 7, 18, says, He yeah, had all power in his hand. I love it. Faith is, it, this is a faith walk, and it is about forgiveness. Listen, God is ready to forgive you of everything that you've ever done wrong in your life. That's what he's talking about. That's what the evangelist explains to the, the, the person who, to, uh, to whom he or she is presenting the gospel. It is about forgiveness. Chapter two, rather, verse two. Let me
0: make sure I'm I'm right. Yes, Second Peter, First Peter, rather,
1: Chapter two, uh, and just verses, uh, verse two. He says, As new babe, newborn babe, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed now he says this and indeed, and he qualifies, if now you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, so you have to believe this is a this is a faith walk, this is a faith walk. it cannot be anything else uh and um, and it's about reconciliation. Uh, when you, when, uh, reconciliation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a definition for reconciliation, and then I'm going to, and there's a word in there called enmity, and I want to define that word enmity as well. And it, it, the word reconciliation it refers to a change that is performed in the personal character of the sinner who ceases to be an enemy to God by his, wicked, his or her wicked works that yield up to him or to God full confidence and love. We want reconciliation is, is, the, is, the, is, uh, is the removal, if you will, of the enmity that separates us from God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, just write it down. We're not going to go there. But second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty, he says, he tells to the uh, the Corinthians, the first Corinthians, the Corinthians, he says, I beseech ye, brethren, in other words, Corinthians, he says, to be reconciled to God. And what does it mean to be reconciled to God? It means to lay aside their enmity. And enmity is defined as hatred. Deep rooted hatred. We want an enmity is spelled E N M I T Y enmity. And it means deep-rooted hatred. And so what I love about Romans is that it says that while we were still the enemies of God, Christ died for his enemies. He paid the penalty for his enemies. And who are his enemies? Those who are sinners have no relationship with the Father, nor with him or the Father. Those are the ones, the ones that are unchurched, the ones that don't know Jesus Christ, the ones that that laugh at him, that talks about him, that uses, that denies them. Those are the ones that are at enmity with God. That means they have a deep rooted hatred for God because they don't want anything to do with him. If you talk about getting the word of God in the school, if you talk about preaching and mention the name of Jesus in school, you can look out because you're going to find you're going to find that they'll come down on you with the full wrath of the government. But yet, when there are other religions, they want to bow down to them, bow down to. They want, us, they want to do everything they can to please them. But when it comes to our faith, our Christian faith, the government doesn't want us to talk about Jesus. The school system doesn't want us to mention Jesus. They don't want us to do anything. But the devil is a liar. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Turn there with me, please. Colossians
0: chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And uh, EP, E.P., feel free to jump in and, 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 and Colossians. share.
1: Chapter twenty, chapter
0: 1,
1: verse
0: 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22. And the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 21 and 22. Okay. 21, okay. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind. By wicked works, yet now have he reconciled in the body of his flesh to death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight.
1: See, God see what Jesus does is when we talk about reconcile, I know that enmity is deeply in hatred, but what he does is he he takes away like the parting of the Red Sea, if you will, and the drying of the ground to afford the, the children of Israel, the cross. To cross the Red Sea without incident and without the loss of life—that's what God. That's what Jesus does. He parts. He parts the hatred produced um, that separates us from sin. He removes the the obstacle of sin from us in order that we can be reunited with God, become one with God, and to have that relationship with Him. And that's very powerful. That's very powerful. You had. You have uh, people. You have um, siblings that hate one another, uh, and or they hate their parents. But over time, God works in their heart, and He clears away all the obstacles, all the things that kept that kept that wedge between them. And then it is the reuniting of them in unity, and they become they become you know loving, caring uh, family members again because they respect one another. They they You know they learn and to come to enjoy one another because life is too short for there to be enmity and hatred between siblings or anyone for that matter, uh, and so that's what reconciling is is coming back together, getting rid of all the stuff that was in between that kept you apart, and now you and, and freeing a way for you to come back together again so in a way uh, so we share. The gospel in a simple manner, or in a way that unbelievers without a biblical background can understand the gospel, It's just that simple. If we if we take if we go up to somebody and say, "Are you going? Are you saved? If you're you're going to hell." Well, that's not explaining to them anything. What does "saved" mean? That's what they're going to ask you. I don't even, I, yeah, I'll say it just because more, more people have come to me before and asked me that, but. What does it mean to be saved? You know, if you're only saved, you're going to hell. We've we run across some people like that that have done stuff like that and i heard of people doing stuff like that, and I tell you what, it tore my heart to pieces because that's not how they do it. Number four. Uh, um, number four is The gift of evangelism um, involves... Um, a response to the proclamation of the
0: gospel. So, not only does uh,
1: uh, not only does uh, the gift of evangelism involve having a burden for the law, uh, proclaiming the good news, uh, uh, have, presenting a clear presentation of the gospel. Number four, it involves a response to the proclamation of the gospel. you want to, you want to explain that? No. So the one having the gift of evangelism sees a response to the presentation of the gospel. That is, an indication that he has the gift. In other words, in other words, every human being, every believer has the gift of evangelism, everyone, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, is not restricted to the apostles, is not restricted to the deacons, is not restricted to the pastor or pastors. It is every believer's responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those within their influence or or circle of influence. For those you come into contact with on the streets, in the grocery store, uh, in the mall, wherever you are, it is your responsibility. So don't lay it all on the pastor. And I believe that if every believer is trained in how to effectively share their faith or the gospel of Jesus Christ, I earnestly believe that America would not have 160-plus million unchurched individuals, every person. And they would not struggle with trying to figure out if if they should go with Muslims or if they should go with Buddhists or if they should go with Hinduism or if they should go with um, Christian Science Monitor, which is anything but Christian, if they should go with Seventh-day Adventists, whose focus is primarily on the day rather than the Savior, the creator of the day, Jesus Christ, or the, Je- or the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the, uh, the, the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ but says that he was a phantasm, if you will, or a ghost, but he really wasn't really Jesus Christ, that is a lie. And all other kinds of stuff that's out there. There is one way and one way only to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. He has... And we're, getting in, we're teaching in Hebrews now. We're talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ. He is superior to the Old Testament. God did a new thing in Jeremiah 31, 31, and 32. He said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new covenant. And so with a new covenant, when there's a new covenant, the old one passes away. And so this is, this is so important. The one having the gift of evangelism sees a response in the presentation of the gospel. That means when you effectively share the gospel, a person will make a decision whether they want to accept Jesus or not. They'll say, yes, I want to have Jesus Christ. We say, we ask people two questions when we talk to them. We establish a report very quickly if we're talking with them over on the street. Uh, uh, and the first question we ask is, have you come to the place in your spiritual thinking, in your spiritual life, in your thinking, rather? Have you come to the place in your thinking where you know for certain that if you were to die today, sure, I hope that didn't that happen that you have eternal life? Uh, and, or, and I like to add, or is that something you're still working on? And they will either say yes, or they'll say I'm still working on it. And, I we're in, and then the second question, the first question lets me know whether they think they're going to have eternal life, and then the second question tells me who they are depending on for that eternal, who or what they are depending on for that eternal life. And that is, suppose you were to die today and sit before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to God? And it is in their answer to that question that gives me an indication uh, that they may not be saved. And I say may not because some people can't articulate, even though they're saved and have given their life to Christ, they may not be able to articulate clearly that they've done that. And I've encountered, my wife and I have encountered that on a number of occasions where we've gone through the gospel presentation and then we ask them, would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? Does this make sense to you? Would you like to receive the gift of eternal life now? And then, and then let me clarify. And then we clarify what we mean by that. And then they answer. Some of them said, well, I've already done that. I did that answer. Oh, okay. You've already done that. So then my question then is, how has your life changed since you've received the gift of eternal life? How has your life changed? And what do they say there? They give us an example, right
0: yeah.
1: uh-huh, so your testimony would be that and my testimony would be, and that's where you and that's where your testimony comes in at, and I forget it um, um revelation is it ten twelve or revelation ten twelve or twelve ten or something like that, so we are overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, I forget exactly where that is in in revelation um. Um, and maybe I'm just gonna be messing, messing up here, trying to trying to find it.
0: But we overcome
1: by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. What? And see, no one can, no one they can say all manner of things, but they cannot refute your testimony because this is something that happened to you, not to somebody else. And that's what we have to understand that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony so the fourth response is that the fourth thing is it involves a response to the proclamation of the gospel you always want to get a response from revelation somebody.
0: 12 11. 12
1: 11 okay I was close uh, so that's what we have and then the fifth and so and so this is an indication that you have the gift and then here's the fifth thing that involves uh, the gift of evangelism and that is it involves a delight in seeing people come to Christ. You know, there's uh um, we hear that the angels in heaven rejoice at one sinner. And and if we can just reach literally millions of people, do you not know that there will be a ruckus in heaven like nobody's business? Ah, woo my goodness. People would speak. They will give their life to Christ, and I can just envision this happening one day when literally millions upon millions, if not a billion or more, people are going to come to Christ, and they're going to be rejoicing, and Satan is going to be kicking himself and screaming and crying because he has lost that many souls. But let me tell you something. That's what it's all about because it is his burden and passion. That is his his, order, meaning the evangelist, burden or passion, the evangelist, Rejoices as men and women come to faith in Christ. I love it. Let me take a break here and see if anybody has anything they want to comment on.
0: Wow.
1: So, what what I noticed during my studies is that evangelists are constantly moving. It's like a river that's constantly flowing. It always fresh and clean, a river. He's always, He or she is always moving constantly. They don't stay in one place for very long. They are, they are anchored to a church, and the church sends them out. So they always have a base. They always have a home church to come back to, but they never stay put. They're always moving. They don't stay for very long in one place. Like, there they are literally, listen, there are literally billions of souls that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have over 1.3 or 1.4 billion, 2 billion or so in India alone. That's one nation. And we have 1.4 billion in China, roughly, along that. And out of all of them, not all of them are saved. And then we have a billion-plus so-called Catholics on, on the earth and I don't know how many Christians, but I would gather to say we have at least a billion or so Catholic uh, Christians. And so there are literally billions of people out here in this earth that don't know Jesus Christ. And 165 or 2 or 3 a million of those are right here in America. Wow. So when Jesus said to the apostles that they will be witnesses of him, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to write that down. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I do not believe he intended evangelists to remain stationary. Because if you remain stationary, you will be ineffective. You will be ineffective because nobody would come to you. You would not. Generate contact with anyone because you are stuck right where you are. You have to move. It is a, it is a, a an icy evangelism under the broader umbrella of mission, where we are going, going and doing and doing. In fact, if we were to look at the life of Jesus, we'll notice that when people tried to keep him from his earthly assignment, he simply told them, "I must preach the kingdom of God to other." To the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Luke chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus is our example. He is the example that we must follow. That's what the evangelists, that's who the evangelists follow. He or she models themselves after the model that was that has been presented in the gospel Jesus Christ. Evangelism cannot be limited to the four walls of a building because everybody doesn't come into the building. And please stop calling the building church because it isn't. Every believer is the church. Every believer is the Peter, I believe, he calls him a living stone. Of Paul, one of them, a living stone, a living stone. That means each one of us, God is shaping and molding us, and we all fit into the body of Christ, or the, we form the body or the building of the holy temple. That's why uh, that's why Paul says, "What know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit?" unto you of God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are living stones. Mm -hmm. And not only are we living stones, but we are living epistles. We are the rich have to go out and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ because we have been commanded to do so. Matthew 28 19 and 20. We have been commanded to do so. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 and verse 20. But just as important there are people in the world that would love to know that they have a choice between eternal life and eternal
0: damnation. Mm -hmm. Yes,
1: that there is life, in other words, after death, and the quality of their eternal life is dependent upon the decision they make while they live in this flesh. the The quality of their eternal life is dependent upon the decision that they make while they live in this flesh.
0: Heaven
1: is absolute but so is hell. I want to tell you, heaven exists and so does hell. Our heaven is absolute. There's no doubt in my mind heaven exists, and but so does hell. And there's no doubt in my mind that hell exists. To avoid hell, we must plan our eternal future while we yet live in these bodies. The decision to, this, to, to, to have to accept or reject eternal life Is made while we are living. If we don't make the decision for eternal life to receive eternal life while we are living, then we automatically make the decision to receive eternal damnation. We automatically sentence ourselves make the decision decision to be sentenced to hell. God doesn't God doesn't announce the punishment or hell on us. He doesn't want us to go there, but when we say, well, and I've talked to guys, I've walked up to guys, man, I don't want to hear that blankety, blank, blank. They not get away from me with that blanketed blank, blank. They, made, they determined them for themselves that they would prefer, they would rather be sentenced to hell when they leave here and suffer eternity in hell rather than hear what I had to say. Everybody that refuses the gospel of Jesus Christ or refuses Jesus Christ by default, make the decision that they would prefer hell over eternal joy and peace. Lord, I don't know if you got that, but um, that's the way it is. So we don't, if we don't accept the, uh, the gospel and we don't accept Jesus Christ, uh, there won't be an opportunity after death. If you don't believe me, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 26. Luke chapter 19 through 26. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16, rather. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 26. I just want to go there. Because if you don't think that there is hell after death, I want to tell you, I want, to, I want you, I hopefully when we finish hearing this, you will agree that there really is. Luke chapter 16, Verse nineteen, verses nineteen through twenty six. you have my uh oh okay. Okay, here's what we have. There was a certain rich man, you heard of this before, rich man in Laper. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. I mean he ate out the he ate out he ate the he was living on the high hall boy. He he was living on the hall boy, he was what do you call it? High hog or something? He was pigging out, boy. He, he had the life, boy. He was doing it up. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of swords, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the, the dogs came and licked his swords. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, the hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that I may that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to see it now. He was rich, and he died, and he thought that he carried that same uh, privilege with him when he was in hell. But listen, he didn't lift a finger to help Lazarus when Lazarus was sitting outside his gate. Didn't even give him the crumbs off the door, off the table but gave them to the dogs instead. And now he wants the one who he did not do anything from for to now come and do something for him. So you have to be careful how you treat people. Entitlement. Entitlement is right. You have to be careful how you treat people. Because when you treat people a certain way, you might find those same people when you're coming back down, thinking that you got it going on. So it's important for you to treat people with respect and help them where you can. Verse twenty-five. But Abraham said, "Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, you and there, us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to here. In other words, you can't come from hell and go to heaven. No, 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 no. You you you're stuck there now. how why? Because you made the decision by yourself. You had the opportunity and you said, Forget you. I prefer to go to hell. And I will live in hell. Well, now you've got it. But listen, but don't don't leave there. But listen here. Let's go to verse twenty seven. I beg, then he said, I beg you therefore. Father, that you would send him to my father, father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So here's the deal, as I said. Once you make that decision, you have the opportunity while you're living in the flesh to make that decision. And it sounds to me like the rich man had the opportunity to 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 receive, to, to live the righteous life, but according to the written law, that, that in this case, the the, the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses. Instead, he chose to live high on the hall. He chose to ignore people that were in need. He he, he just walked around like he had it all going on in the flesh. But now, now he doesn't have it going on. And Lazarus had it going on. Okay. The evangelistic work of declaring the gospel is the primary ministry that the church has toward the world. This doesn't mean that evangelism is more important than worship and nurture, but only that it is our primary ministry toward the world. That is our goal, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Let's go, therefore, and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the ages. Amen. That's what he said. Our ministry, our gospel is meant for us to go into the world and proclaim it. We're supposed to go and proclaim it. What accompanies the ministry of evangelism is the ministry of mercy. Uh, And I want to add grace, but I'll get to that later. Mercy. And and that is a ministry that includes caring for the poor and needy in the name of the Lord. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. Love your enemy, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. So be merciful, even as your father is merciful. We have a tendency, many people have a tendency when people mistreat them and talk about them like a dog and, and say all manner of things against them, we, we have a tendency to get, to bristle up, to, to push away from them, don't want to have anything to do with them, and look down on them and say, hey, I ain't going to keep my distance, I ain't going to mess with that anymore. But get that, burn me once, you ain't going to burn me twice. And say, That's okay, that's understandable. You've you tried once, and, and you've tried to be decent to the people once, and they didn't want to have anything to do with you, they talked about you like a dog, keep your distance. You know, love them from afar. Don't hold it. Don't hold it in. Don't hold the grudge in. Forgive them. Give it to God and move on because it's not you that they don't like. It's the God in you, and they're driven by the God in them, which is the God of the world, Satan. And so they can't. And so there is always going to be that enmity, that struggle between the spirit and the flesh. They're contrary to one another. That's always going to be that. But you want to keep your focus on why you are here. Who's your savior? Who's who? And, and the one who was reviled and reviled not by by himself. In fact, I'm going to read that right
0: now. <laughs> Ooh, Lord have mercy. I love this. Um, let me find that now. Well,
1: let me let me just move on here. I know what I want to say. I know where I want to go. You know, what is <clears> throat> throat> Never mind. Don't worry about it. Uh, But the point is, Jesus' explanation is that we are to imitate God in being kind. That's what he's talking about in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. He's trying to, what he is explaining to us is that we are to imitate God in being kind to those who are being ungrateful and selfish as well. So, their unkindness to us is not a license for us to treat them the same way they treat us.
0: Who then the dog did not retaliate? Suffering did not threaten. But he gave himself. Right.
1: Jesus didn't retaliate. He could have. He could have easily said, "You know what, God? You know what, Father? You know what? Forget this. I'm coming right back and resume my position on, on uh, next to you in heaven, on my throne in heaven. Right now, I'm not going to deal with this. Now, these people here are this crazy. They don't want to hear nothing I got to say."
0: They're crazy. They're stupid. They're blind. They just can't see. But if he had done that,
1: if he had done that, where would you and I be today? And that's why you and I can't take that attitude that that, that when somebody mistreats us and we turn around and talk bad about them and mistreat them as well, because that's not the Christian thing to do yeah, they mistreated you. Okay, fine. Walk away, leave it alone, pray for them, stay away from them. If that's possible, as much as possible, stay away from them. Don't have anything else to do with them, but pray for them. Don't hold any anger in it. Don't hold any animosity. Just don't. Just pray for them and ask God to forgive them, and ask God to help you to get over what how they treated you so that you don't, so you will not bob down with that stuff. Because if you have unforgiveness in your heart, then your father will have unforgiveness towards you. You get what you give. Mm, I love that. You get what you give. By way of example, Jesus did not try to heal only those who accepted him as Messiah. Rather, when great crowds came to him, he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. That's Luke chapter 4, verse 40. So Another reason we evangelize Uh, can be seen in the book of Acts. In Acts, there is a frequent connection between proclaiming the gospel, even in the face of opposition, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, and and I'm going to have to end on this. There were times when I was out in the street and all kinds of stuff was going on. People fighting and not wanting to hear the stuff, all that stuff going on. But right in the midst of me sharing the gospel with some people that were there, and there were people that said, I don't want to hear that stuff, and yet they stood right there while we were ministering, sharing the gospel with others. And and so we just ignored them, and we kept presenting the gospel. And when we finished presenting the gospel, the person that was supposed to receive it at that particular point in his or her life Received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Received Jesus Christ and was saved at that very moment in the midst of the opposition against us. So just because there's opposition doesn't mean you stop it. And I'm just talking from experience. When well, it's 730 and I didn't get through it all, gosh almighty, there ought to be a crime against time. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: that ought be a law
1: against time. Well, that's it for tonight. I'm sorry that we'll
0: have to finish this next uh,
1: Thursday. But uh, thank you for joining us, and I want to be true to our time. Is there any prayer requests or any comments before we move forward, anybody that wants to give their life to Christ or to have a relation or to become a member of this ministry, Jesus Christ Ministries Global? Or if you are backsliding and you want that joy restored in your life, I'm here to tell you that God will restore the joy. And if you are in need of prayer, then we're here to pray for you in any of these areas. Feel free; we love to we love to uh, serve you.
0: Please pray for me.
1: Okay. And once we once we uh, stop recording, um, then I can ask you.